Last week I shared a message that was very hard to share, and I know it was very hard to hear. But it was a message that God had placed on my heart to share. As we are walking through this series entitled The Followers, as we're looking uh, in the last days of Jesus and then following his ascension into the book of Acts, what we as followers of Jesus, as we look at the book of Acts and we, we look at the lives of these early Christians and then we look at our own lives, not in the sense the way we normally have done it, not playing church the way we have historically played church. You know, so often we say, oh, amen, preacher. You're, you're preaching to that guy down the street. Amen. You tell him to go share. And while we're saying that, we're not sharing. You know, we, we, we get so accustomed. We get so accustomed to the, the Sunday school answer. You know what the Sunday school answer is? Any question asked in church, you can answer it with Jesus, and you're probably going to be right. Any question you ask, oh, well, it's Jesus, or it's God, or it's God's Word. And, and, and we get so accustomed, and we, we put on this mask that we're not real. And when we begin to come into this area as the church, we become ineffective. We become ineffective. I shared with you last week that churches all across our country, even in this city, are closing their doors. Maybe you're here and you know of a church that is struggling and trying to, to keep the doors open. And the call from God's word is that we as the church must engage, engage our community, engage our culture, engage those around us. We have to be on fire. It's not just that we come to church. This is not the main event. This is the time where we come together, and as we said a few weeks ago, this is our huddle. We're getting the play calls. We're, we're getting everything ready to go. And then when we walk out the doors, that's where the church becomes the church. This is a time where we come together as a family, as, as a worshiping group, a worshiping body, where we get our instructions, we get our play call, and then when we go out, that's when the church becomes the church. That's the church mobilized. This is the church worshiping here. This is the church, yes, accomplishing what God has told us to do to come in, but church is so much more than just Sunday morning. I said church is so much more than what we're seeing right here. If this is your view of church, you're, you're, you're mistaken. You're missing the point. The church is not the building. The church is each one of us, followers of Jesus Christ. We are the church. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, and then when we walk outside these doors, the church goes out and it's the church mobilized. We have to think of church this way. We have to get out of our mind that this is all there is to do. This is doing church. We can't just do church anymore. We have to be the church now. It has to go beyond the, the, that, which, that which we're comfortable with. We need to be praying prayers like this. God, make me uncomfortable. God, put me in situations that, that place me in a situation where I'm very uncomfortable, but I'm able to use your name and your glory. I was over ecstatic uh, last week. A youth came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm so grateful that you're calling the church to a national day of prayer on Thursday. But Pastor, we're in school. And we have a bunch of youth who want to come here and pray, but we can't because we're in school. 
Is there any way that you can extend the hours to pray? This is a youth saying this. When I was in high school, the last thing on my mind was praying. We have to get it, you know? We have to stop playing church and and become the church. We need to be praying that the youth, more youth, get it like that. Get plugged in. Get excited. Engage the community. Engaging God. Engaging the community. In Acts chapter 2, which is where we're going to be at today, we're going to see what an engaging church looks like. A church that engages its community. What, what does a church that does that, as followers of Jesus, as we engage? Acts chapter 2. I'll be reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, then I would encourage you to just use your iPhone, your iPad, download the ESV app. I'm read from the ESV, preach from the ESV. Uh, but you follow along in the translation. If you have a different translation, that's fine. You just follow along in your translation as I read from mine. If you don't have a Bible, see one of our ministers. We'll make sure that we get you a Bible. It's important to bring your Bible to church. It's important to bring your Bible to church. If you want it on your little eye device, that's fine. But make sure you have it open and keep it open because we here at Aloma, we come back to the Word over and over and over again. So keep it open. Don't close it after we read it. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of as fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they began to speak. They were filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The first aspect that we see of a church that truly can engage the culture, a church that is engaging, number one, we see that it's the people were together. You see that? The people were together. Verse 1, the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in what? One place. They were in one accord, in one place, they were together. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves, as some have done, but you come together in order to spur one another on to good works. And when we gather together as the people of God, as the church of God, as we gather together, that's, that's, we are the church. I'm, I'm reminded as I look out in the church and I, 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 I'm reminded of, of what all it takes for this church to happen. From the people in our parking lots helping us to park our cars, to the sound guys who are enabling us to be able to hear, to the greeters, to the ushers, those working with our children. It takes a lot of people to make this work, doesn't it? It doesn't just happen. And can I suggest to you, church, that when someone comes to follow Jesus Christ at the end of one of our services, when somebody places their faith and trust and and steps out from where they are and comes forward and prays and receives Jesus Christ at the conclusion of our service, when, when somebody comes into the family of faith, we all have a part in that decision. Because we're all together. We're unified. It takes all of us together as a collective group to see those decisions take place. And I truly believe those who are serving as a part of this church will receive the rewards for all who have come to know Christ as a part of the ministry. Here's what this means. Here's what all this means. Church is not simply just for me to come and to get a blessing, but it's for me to come and to be a blessing. 
That's doing church different, isn't it? It, when, when that's our mindset, it, it changes. So often we, we come to church, we say, oh, I'm coming to church today because I need a blessing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. We come to church in order to, to praise God, to worship God, and, and to receive a blessing, to hear from God. Yes, but if that's your only motive, then you're not a part of this church that's going to engage the culture. Yes, you're a part of the church, but you're not truly going to engage those outside. If your sole purpose is to come here and to receive a blessing, to come and get and get and get and get. Listen, you're not alone. There's a lot, there's a lot in this very room who, who have that same mentality. The church is all about me. That, that here I am and everything revolves around me. Am I singing the songs I like? Am I hearing the message that I like? Did my life group teacher teach what I like? It's all about me. That's not church. Church means that we are together. We are unified. We are one in one place. We talk about church membership a lot, and you say, well, Pastor, when I look in my concordance, I... When I look back here in this list, in my back of my Bible, and I look here, I don't see the word church membership back there. You're not going to see the word Trinity either, but it doesn't make it any less true or biblically accurate. Church membership is very biblical. Did you know that? There's some who, they jump from church to church to church, and they never plug into the life and the heartbeat of the church, and, and you're missing out on God's blessings, friend. You need to join a church. You need to plug in. Church membership is very, very biblical. You say, well, how does a person become a member of the church? What are the biblical principles for a person to join a church? That's a great question. That's a great question that many churches, such as ours, and many churches across this country need to ask and need to answer in accordance with God's Word. You know why? Because so many churches are filled up with people who are not saved, who don't know Christ, who are unregenerated. That's why. Therefore, the church has become a field for evangelism rather than a force for evangelism. Billy Graham said that 80% of the church people are lost. 80%. I'll be honest with you, I think that number is very, very low. I think it's a whole lot more. I do. You see, we have churches across our country that they don't preach regeneration. They don't preach you need to have a relationship with Christ. And, and church has become simply just a country club. We have cheapened. We have cheapened. We have made the church really a harlot. We have cheapened church membership to the point that we just let anybody and everybody come in and be a part of the church because we're just trying to build more and more and more people and big, get a big, 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 big crowd. That's not the church. We have biblical principles of what it means to be a church member, to be a, family, be a part of the family of God. Did you know that you'd be a member of every church in Orlando and not be a member of the family of God? Listen, I know that there's some here today and you've been taught in your life. Maybe growing up, maybe through some class that you had at your church, maybe... Maybe you were taught that part of you being able to go to heaven, part of, of, of that which saves you is being a member of a church. Listen to me. That's wrong. That's wrong. 
That's not biblical. You're not going to find that in God's word. That's the testimony of man, not the testimony of God. Let's see what the Bible says of how you join the family of God, how you join the church. Number one, there's salvation. There's salvation. People are members for various reasons, aren't they? People, some people join a church for business reasons, social reasons, family reasons. But the only way you can truly become a member, remember this, this church, this body, is a part of the family of God. And the only way you can become a family of God, part of the church, the church of Jesus Christ, is to be saved. To accept the fact that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and he rose again on the third day to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you can become a part of the family of God. It's personal. Look at verse 37, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut at the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Acts 2.38, and Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Notice, Peter here is preaching. Acts chapter 2 is all about his sermon. You can read it in verses 14 and following. This is the man who denied Christ three times. This is the man who got on the water and began to walk and began to sink because his faith began to falter. This is also the same man that Jesus said that, Peter, I'm going to use you in a powerful way. He said, Peter, is a play on words, he said, Petros, which is a small, small pebble. He said, Petros, I'm going to make this confession of yours that Jesus is the Son of God and you're going to be the rock. This is going to be the rock of the church. I'm going to base the testimony of Jesus being the Son of God, and I'm going to use that as a testimony to build my church. And Peter, I'm going to use you in a marvelous and a majestic and a powerful way. But as you read the stories in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, and the book of John, when you read the gospel stories and you read this man named Simon Peter, he messed up over and over and over and over again. But Jesus was there to always pick him up and say, Peter, remember, though you may fail, I'm going to use you. There's a message there for us, isn't there? It doesn't matter how many times we mess up. It doesn't matter how many times we give in. Listen, God will be there to forgive us. And God has a special plan for each and every one of us. Did you hear me? God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And we see this unfold in the life of Peter. Just a few days earlier, he denied Christ three times. And now he is filled with the Spirit of God. And he begins to preach this message with boldness. He's preaching. He's preaching to the same people that crucified Jesus. The people he was just scared of a few days ago. A few weeks ago, the same people that he was scared of and he denied Christ three times because he was scared of them, he's now preaching boldly to them the truth of Christ. Salvation. He says in Acts 2.38, repent. Repentance. That's not a word that we use very often, is it? Repentance. It's a Bible word. It's an important word. And we get it mixed up sometimes. We... We as a church have a way of trying to take God's word, which is holy, which is separated from us, that is, is impossible in a lot of ways for us to achieve, and we try to dumb it down to make it less 
uh, to make it more politically correct, you know, well, let's just call a spade a spade. That's what churches do. Sin, uh, it's not a big deal. Jesus is love. He loves all people, so he wants all people to come and to be a part of his family. You come just as you are. Honey, if you want to live that way, that's fine. You go ahead and do that. Hmm. It's not church. You're not going to get that here at Aloma. We love you. We want you to come and be a part. But in order to be a member of the family of God, it's not this, this Burger King mentality, have it your way. It, it, it's, we have to do God's way. In God's way. And the only way, the only way you can enter into God's family is through salvation. He said, repent then. He said, repent. Repentance. Repentance is not regret. Many people regret their past, but that's not repentance. Repentance is not remorse. Oftentimes we think that repentance is remorse. We, we need to do something. We, uh, we, we weep over our sins. We, we think that repentance is remorse. I know people who are very sad about their sins. They're sorry for their sins, but that doesn't mean they ever repented. Repentance is not remorse. Repentance is not regret. As I said, many people regret their past, but that's not repentance. Repentance is not resolve. Repentance is not resolve. How many times have we resolved? We promise to do better. God, if you get me through this sticky situation, I promise I will never do this again. Resolve. That, that, that's not repentance. That's making God some magical fairy. It's not repentance. Remorse is not repentance. We don't bargain with God. Resolve is not repentance. You know, there's a lot of, of, of sad stories as it comes to repentance. A lot of sad songs, really. Sarah and I, we lived in three, for three years, we lived in Nashville. Love Nashville, Tennessee, but Nashville, Tennessee is known for one thing, and that's country music. And I just don't like that genre of music. And it's all over the place there. Country music is famous for sad songs, isn't it? You know what happens when you play a country song backward, when you backtrack it? You get your dog back, your pickup back, your wife back. You get it all back. And some people think that that's repentance. That's not repentance either. It's not repentance, trying to go backward. Here's what repentance means. It means a change. It means that you're walking, physically you're walking in one direction and you stop and you turn and you go in the exact opposite direction. It's not possible, humanly speaking, for us to do that in of ourselves. We have to have the power of God to be able to do that. So when you say, oh, okay, I'm going to just lay down this habit. I'm going to stop uh, drinking. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. Hey, friend, you're not going to be able to do that without the power of God living inside of you. You can't do it. Repentance requires, repentance is so much more than just being sorry. It's a complete change. And listen, as a child of God, there has to be true repentance. There has to be a change. There has to be something that's different. Be saved. Look, look at uh, what he says in verse 40. Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, he says, repent. And, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. You see that? You see that? 
He says, repent in Acts 2.38. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, he says, be saved from this crooked generation. Be saved. With many other words, the, the, the idea here, when you read it in Greek, he's, he's pleading with them. He's begging them. He's on his hands and knees, wringing his hands, looking at this group of people saying, please be saved. Please don't leave until you know Christ as Savior, Lord. Please be saved. That's what Peter is saying here. He's saying, be saved, pleading. And friend, that's why we have an invitation here at Aloma. Pleading with people to come to know Christ. Here in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, we find the first invitation. The first time that people are invited following the ascension of Jesus, where people are invited in a public area to come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. I know that some churches don't do that, and that's fine. But I have the conviction that we do it. And we will do it every single Sunday. You know why? Because it's biblical. I see the, 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 the invitation. I see the urgency of the invitation. The urgency for those who, who need to receive Christ. The urgency for them to come and receive Christ. We are pleading with those who are lost. Come to know Jesus. Come to know Jesus. He will change your life. The urgency of the gospel message. The urgency of the call of God, the urgency of the invitation of Jesus invites those, those people, those of us who are in this very room, who are a part of this crooked generation. The King James, the old King James, I love how it says it. It says uh, the, the, the untoward generation. The untoward generation, it literally means a generation going nowhere. That's, that's the generation we live in. A generation that's going nowhere. The Nemo generation, the nobody generation, the nothing generation where anything and everything goes. There are no absolutes. Friend, the world is preaching this message. It's a crooked generation. It's a broken generation. And we have the message that will save them. Are you willing to plead the way Peter did and say, be saved? Plead and be saved. Please be saved. That's a church that truly engage. People need Jesus. In order to join God's family, yes, you have to be saved. But notice what else he says. There's another requirement, Acts 2.38. He says, repent and then what? Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. Baptism. Baptism. Uh, in a few weeks, we're going to have a big service where we baptize, and I teach on baptism, the biblical view of baptism. Many people say, oh, you Baptists, you tout that baptism because you're Baptist. No, I don't tout baptism because I'm Baptist. I tout baptism because I'm Christian. And when you read God's Word, it talks about immersion, baptism, following your salvation every time. Just a few weeks, we're going to share that message, but if there are some here and you've never been baptized and you need to be baptized, call the church. On June the 2nd, we would love to baptize you as a testimony, as a witness to our church body of you following to know Christ as Savior and Lord. Baptism doesn't save anyone, but it's a mark. It identifies you as a Christian. 
Did you know that you can be baptized over and over and over again and all you're doing is getting wet? It doesn't, it doesn't save you. It's like, the, it's like the old country preacher said. He said, you know, you can be baptized so many times that you can know every tadpole in the pond by the first name and still not go to heaven. <laughs> but in response to what Christ has done in your life, you outwardly show it through baptism. It's right here in Scripture. In order to join God's family, you have to be saved, know Christ, repent and be saved. And then you have to be baptized. It's it's right here. It's right here. The people were together in their salvation. They were identified together. This this group called the way, this group called Christians, this group that, that was at this time still in the view of the Romans, a sect of, uh, the, of, of Judaism, they are now claiming and they're doing things a little bit different. And once identifying them together, remember we said, remember we said the church that engages its community, a church that truly engages is a church that is together. And it's a church that is together in salvation. We affirm salvation. There's one thing that's a mark of every person who's a member of a Loma church. You know what it is? We're all saved. There's a mark that identifies every single person who's a member of the overall church, Church Big C, whether you're a member of a Loma, uh, First Baptist, Second Baptist, Third Baptist, 20th Baptist, it doesn't matter. A mark that, that identifies all of us, you know what it is? We're all saved. We're a part of the big family of God. And it also, through baptism, that's what identifies you in the local church, baptism. Now also notice there's something else. The people were together in their salvation, unified in their baptism, and they were also unified in Scripture. Look very quickly at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. What brings us back week after week? What, what motivates us as the church to come together, to be unified, to, to do this? I submit to you that it should be our love for Christ and our love for His Word, period. The reason why we come to this place is because we love Jesus and we love Jesus' word. We want the word of God. We want to be fed the word of God so that we can grow and that we may grow up. Many Christians grow old, but they never grow up in the faith. It's been said before that you know that a Bible that's coming apart generally belongs to someone whose life is not. God's word changes you. The reason why we get together is to honor the Word of God, to hear the Word of God, and to heed the Word of God. We honor it. It is God's Word. It is central to everything that we do. We hear it. It's proclaimed. It's proclaimed through the message of song. It's proclaimed through the message of giving. It's proclaimed through the message right now, through the message of the Word. And then we heed it. We do it. We put it into practice in our daily life. I challenge you to continue steadfastly in the faith. Verse 42 goes on, the teaching, and then he says, the fellowship, the coming together, the breaking of bread. That's the Lord's Supper. And prayers. That's pretty self-explanatory. We are the church. We are the church united. We are the church together. And a church that is together is a church that gets it. Let me tell you what Satan wants to do, church. Satan wants to slither in, into our midst, into our church, and he wants to cause us to believe some lies. 
I'm going to be very honest with you. I hate snakes. I hate reptiles. And I shared with the first service that (laughs) in the room back here they have set up for me to to be praying and and to get ready for the service. This morning I was sitting there and, and Abby and Sarah walked in and Abby always runs in and says, Daddy! And gives me a big hug. Breaks my heart. I love it. And then she looked over and she said, Daddy, what's that? And on the lamp was one of those ugly lizards. One of the guys came in and said, Sarah, did you scream? I said, no, that was me. I hate lizards. One of the guys came in to grab it, and he went in, and he was going slow, and he went like that, and that thing jumped. I jumped out of my seat. They came up to me after the invitation and showed me a picture and said, hey, pastor, they got it. I said, no, they didn't. I said, they got that thing outside. They took a picture of that one outside. That thing's still in there. They said, no, pastor, I promise you, I promise you they had it. I said, well, then it probably had babies in that room. There's little lizards all over the place. I hate lizards. And some of you men are scheming. What can I do to the pastor now? I see you. I see you. You know, in Genesis, when we read the book of Genesis and and Satan, we're first introduced to him. He came as what? A snake. A snake with actually legs. A lizard. (laughs) Slithering in. But that's, 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 when you stop and think about Satan, that's, that's how he works, isn't it? He doesn't come in with the big neon lights saying, hey, I'm Satan, I'm here. That's not what he does. He comes in and he slithers like a, a little reptile, a little lizard, a little snake, and he, he slips in. And let me tell you, if, if, you don't, if, you, if you're not aware of this right now, he does not like what's happening at Aloma right now. Satan hates Aloma Church. He hates us. And he will do whatever he can to destroy us. Don't you let your guard down. Don't you let, don't you let your guard down. Don't you allow him to slip into your life and to cause disunity among you. Don't do it. One of the greatest things that can be said about Aloma Church is the unity that we have. You mark my words, Satan will try to disrupt that unity. As people are being saved and people are joining our church, he will do whatever he can. Don't let him do that, church. Don't let him do that. We hold together. We hold together. We hold together. Number two, the second thing we see very quickly, Jesus was glorified. Acts chapter 2. The first message is preached by Simon Peter. Verse, we won't read the whole thing, but in verses 22 through 24, we see uh, the first part or coming out of part of his message here. Uh, Peter preaches, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was possible for him to be held by it. The message right here is centered upon Jesus. That's why we we sing about Jesus. We preach about Jesus. This is a Jesus church. Everything we do is centralized on Jesus. 
His sermon was full of Jesus. And, and here we see, uh, he talks about in verse 22, the miracle of Jesus' life. You see it there? He talks about the miracle of Jesus' life. Even the virgin birth was a miracle. There are a lot of churches that have said, oh, the virgin birth, if we don't believe the virgin birth, it's not that big of a deal. That's wrong. That's wrong. The virgin birth is necessary. You know why? Because if Jesus was born of man, if Joseph was the father of Jesus, then guys, ladies, Jesus has the same blood that's running through our veins. The, the blood of Adam. The blood of sin. So you see, the virgin birth is a miracle. The virgin birth is necessary. A necessary part of this thing we call the gospel. Jesus, born of a virgin lived a life without sin, and that life he lived was full of miracles, wasn't it? He lived a life, and he performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He gave sight to the blind. He gave hearing to the deaf. He, he gave words to the mute. He, he raised up the dead, the woman with the issue of blood. He healed the man that was full of demons. He cast them out. Jesus did a lot of miracles in his life. He was a man of miracles. Peter also preached not only the miracle of his life, but he also preached the miracle of his death and resurrection. Verse 23 talks about the miracle of his death. Verse 24 talks about the miracle of his resurrection. The only message that we, the church, have is that Jesus is alive. Jesus, if he's still in that tomb, if he's still behind that stone, then we don't have a message. But because he is alive... Because he is risen, we have the power, we have the truth, we can share with boldness and in full confidence that God is the God of the universe, that God is the God of us, that God is the God over sin, and he has conquered it all. Because he rose. He rose from the dead. He is Lord. Look, look at verse 36 with me. Look at verse 36. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Important verse here. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The message of the church is that Jesus reigns. He is Lord. He is Christ. And that wonderful truth is something that we must magnify as a church. And that's why Aloma Church is a Jesus church. We don't tout Wesley Baldwin. We don't tout ministers. We don't tout deacons. We don't tout anybody but Jesus. Jesus alone can save. Everything that we believe is central to Jesus. I guess that you could even say that Aloma Church exists in order to center our lives on Jesus while doing whatever it takes to see people experience life change. I trust that all we do exalts Him. I trust that everything we are about exalts him. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. I appreciate the fact that when we come into this room, the Lord of lords and the King of kings is here. The Spirit of God is here. He greets each one of us. Note this, that it is not our responsibility first and foremost. It is not our responsibility first and foremost to go get people in the church. It is not our responsibility, first and foremost, to get people into church. It is our responsibility, our number one priority, 
Our number one priority is not to get people into church. Our number one priority is to make sure that Jesus is present in this church. There's a difference. There's a difference. And there's a whole lot of churches, a whole lot of churches I've preached in, a whole lot of churches I've visited, and the Spirit of God is not present in those churches. It's an awful, awful thing, isn't it? It is our responsibility as the church to make sure that Jesus is present, that Jesus is welcome into our midst, that the Spirit of God is here. Yes, we go and we share and we invite people to come, but our number one responsibility is to make sure that Jesus feels welcome here, that we welcome his presence here. I guess you could say it like this. When we fill our pulpits with Jesus, he will fill our pews with people. When we welcome him here, he will be here. And where the Spirit of God is, listen to me, where the Spirit of God is, he will be there. I share this with you not as patting myself on the back because I am simply worthless when it comes to the things of God. But the unique experiences that God has placed before me goes right in line with what we're seeing here in the book of Acts. I pastored a church. We started a satellite campus, a a second campus. God was leading us to do this. We went into the satellite campus and it broke my heart. It was an existing building and I tell you what, our pews probably wouldn't even fit in this building, small building. This building in, in Tennessee that, that we went and we took over, this, this, this little building, the baptistry hadn't been used in so long. There were literally cobwebs and junk in the baptistry. We started there with 10 people. Satellite campus. Ten people coming and joining and worshiping. In just a matter of months, in this little room, we had over a hundred people and not enough seats. They were lined around the wall. Where the Spirit of God is, the people will come. Our prayer when we come into this room Our prayer as you're preparing your heart for worship, as you're coming, is God, be welcome in this place. God, be welcome in my life. God, be welcome in my family. There were miracles also in their midst, and we're out of time, but there were miracles in their midst. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 43 and 47. Great things were happening. Uh, Verse 47 says that, notice this, verse 47 says that they had favor with all the people. You see that, Acts chapter 2, verse 47? We skip that phrase so often, praising God and having favor with all the people. Underline that in your Bible because so many churches miss that. A church that truly engages its culture is going to have favor with, they're going to have a positive testimony in their community. We ought to have a favorable testimony in the community that we're serving, shouldn't we? You know, the the church of, our our parents' church was a church that was always known for what they're against. We're against cards, we're against TV, we're against movies, we're against this, we're against that, we're against this, we're against that. 
And in the community, they, they were known as a church that was against those things. Right? Am I the only one that has a testimony like that? Are there churches in Florida like that? I know there are. The churches that are known for what they're against, but as I read Scripture, I don't see the church coming out saying, I'm against this, I'm against this, I'm against this. I see the church coming out saying, I'm for Jesus. I'm for life change. I'm for seeing God work in your life. That's what I see. That's what I read. That's what I study. Now, that doesn't mean that we forsake our principles. That doesn't mean that we forsake our convictions. We stand on our convictions. We call sin, sin. We label sin as it is. We don't, we don't go back on our convictions. We don't change the message. The message stays the same. Jesus saves, but we change our methodology. We change how we communicate it. The gospel is not a negative message. It's a positive message. Yeah, the negative part is the sinners go to hell, but there's good news. There's good news. Those who receive Jesus can be saved. That's a positive message. And that positive message we take out to a world that's lost and dying who needs to hear it. We need to share. James Kennedy, a a great pastor of yesteryear, said a long, long time ago, he said evangelism is more caught than taught. I like that. Evangelism more often is caught and it's taught. Evangelism is an atmosphere. It's an environment. It's in the spirit of the people. It's in the smiles of the choir as they worship. It's in the friendly handshakes of our ushers. It's in the joy and the fellowship of our people. Here's what I believe. When you catch the heart of Jesus, when you catch the heart of Jesus, we will then begin to engage our community. Do you have the heart of Jesus today? Are you willing to do what it takes to engage the community around us? Let me ask you a question. Why are you here? It's a simple question, isn't it? But it, it, it's, for some of us, it's pretty hard to answer. Why are you here? Well, if you're going to answer honestly, some of you are going to say, well, because my friend invited me to come, so I'm here. Okay, that's a good reason to be here. Others of you say, well, because I want to worship Jesus, or I I want to be fed, or I want to be a blessing to others. There's all kinds of answers to that question. Why are you here? Now my question is this. The message that was just preached, the word was just presented, and the word will not return void. My question is, what are you going to do with the message that you just heard? How are you going to apply it to your life? How are you going to take what you just heard and not just simply be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word? So often I stand up here and I give you example after example after example of, of how you can make this an action. But, but God really impressed on me to say to you, what are you going to do? How are you going to take this to apply it to your life? For some of us here, we need to receive Christ. You need to be saved. You need to be a part of the global church family. As I said earlier on, you may have been taught that in order to be saved, in order to go to heaven, you, you have to be a part of a church. There's a lot, of, a lot of Baptists that are splitting the gates of hell wide open. A lot of people on church rolls that don't go to heaven. A lot of people on Catholic rolls, Presbyterian rolls, Methodist rolls, all the same. All the same. 
You see, Jesus said that on that day, many people are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. Lord, Lord, we, we fed the hungry. We gave drink to the thirsty. We, we did all these things. We went to church. I was a member of a church. And Jesus said, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, for I never knew you. It's not about being a member of a church. Church membership, church membership will not get you to heaven. It will send you on your way to hell. Baptism, you, you think, oh, I need to be baptized so I can go to heaven. Baptism will not save you. There's a lot of people who've been baptized who are in hell right now. The only, the only way you can become a part of the family of God is through salvation. Repentance, not remorse, not regret, true repentance. Saying, God, forgive me for my sins. I am a big, fat, ugly sinner. I do everything I touch crumbles. Everything I touch breaks. God, I repent. I turn the best way I can from that sin. I need your power to come in to help me to turn from it. And you invite him to come in to save you. And let me tell you, I'll get on my hands and knees and beg you if that means that you'll come to Christ today. I will literally get on my hands and knees and beg you and say, please receive Jesus. Please receive Christ in your life. Don't walk out of this room unchanged. There's some here and you need to be saved. There are others here and you have been saved, but you've never followed Christ in believer's baptism. As we said last week, if you've never been baptized, you've been saved, but you've never been baptized, you're living in disobedience. And God's never going to fully bless you the way he wants to. In the way that he will. Until you get baptized. Baptism, baptism doesn't result in your salvation. But it marks you as a Christian. And there are others here. And you've been attending the Loma for. Maybe several months. Maybe just a few, few weeks. But God is leading you to join this body of believers. Called Loma Church. My question is what are you waiting for? Why don't you come and be a part of what God is doing here? Come and be a part of what God is doing. We need you. You make us better. You help us with the mission that we're doing. We need you, but we need you to be a part. Coming together, working together, serving together, all for the cause of Christ. I'm going to ask every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't know what God is saying to you. I don't know how he's speaking to you. But I know he's speaking to some and telling you you need to be saved. So right now you can pray and invite Christ to come into your life. You can repent. You can turn from your sins. In your heart of hearts, in your mind, not out loud, but in your heart, tell the Lord you're a sinner. You're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. He knows that. But tell him in your own words, God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. Now repent of that sin. Ask him, say, God, I, I need your spirit to help me to 
turn away from this sin. I repent of this sin. I turn away from this sin and I turn toward Christ. Now invite Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior, Lord. Say something like, Lord, come into my life and save me. If you believe it, confess. Confess that He died for your sins, was buried, and He rose again on the third day. If you believe that, confess it right now. Let me tell you what the Bible... I know that there are some who prayed with me. Here's what the Bible said just happened in your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You will be saved. Romans ten thirteen says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you just prayed with me and you believed by faith, the Bible says that you're saved. You say, well, I don't feel any different. Salvation is not based upon feelings. It's based upon a promise, the promise of his word. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to sing a a song of of response, a time of invitation. Just as Peter in the book of Acts gave an invitation and invited those who wanted to be saved to come forward, on that day, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people stood up and walked forward and said, I give my life to Christ. 3,000 on that day. I don't know how many people here... But I want to invite you to do what Christians have done in the past. To stand up. Not to be ashamed of the decision they made, but to stand up. The best way we can do this is to ask you to just slip out from where you are and come forward. We'll have a minister at the head of each aisle. If you prayed to receive Jesus with me just a moment ago, when we stand and sing in just a few moments, you slip out from where you are and come forward and tell this minister, tell this deacon, tell this pastor, I have prayed to receive Jesus. I don't know really all that there is to this, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to be saved. We're not going to single you out. We're not going to put you on the platform. We're not going to ask you to to talk. We're, We're just going to take you to a back room to where some people who love you, who've been praying for you, want to talk to you about the decision that you made you need to be baptized, come forward and do the same thing. We're not, we're not looking to be Pharisees. We're just trying to follow God's word the best way we possibly can. If God is leading you to join a Loma church and you've been considering this and you've just been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, stop waiting. Church membership is biblical. Come forward at this time. And we'll receive you as we receive members. If you need to pray, if there's something going on in your life, you want to pray with someone, or if you want to pray alone, just come and kneel at this altar, whatever God is leading you to do. And then obviously, those of us who are Christians, we need to be asking ourselves, what do I do with this message that I just heard? I know for me, that means that I need to go out and I need to witness more. I need to share more. I need to invite more. What does that mean for you? Father, we ask that your spirit will search our hearts, that you will draw all into yourself. Have freedom, spirit of Christ. Have freedom. In Jesus' name.